You're listening to the Sioux Falls Startup Stories Podcast. All right, welcome guys, and welcome to episode two of the season two of the Sioux Falls Startup Stories Podcast. I'm super excited again to be uh, doing this project and thankful for our sponsor, which is Startup Sioux Falls. You can visit their website and learn more about them from SiouxFalls.eco. That's SiouxFalls.eco. They are the sponsor of the podcast. We're super grateful of that. And diving into this week's episode, last week I talked with Remedy, so Remedy Brewing Company, and the owners of that are Matt and Tyler. Uh, I listened to their story and shared their story last week about their incredible grit and their determination to bring their idea that was six years in the making, which is just, it's an incredible story. If you haven't listened, I really encourage you to take a moment and go back and listen to episode one. But this week, uh, I actually sit down with a polar opposite type of business owner. Her name is Carla Santi. I'm super excited that she was able to take time out of her very busy schedule. She's a very accomplished woman. Um, and she is the owner of Blend Interactive, her and a couple of partners. And her story is a lot different from Remedies. And that's what I appreciate so much about it. She didn't have the dream of being an entrepreneur. She didn't have that that burning desire to, you know, leave whatever it was she was doing and start her own business and do all these things. She really was never even on the path to owning her own business. In fact, she calls herself an accidental entrepreneur. But before we dive into that, we want to know who Carla is and where she came from. Uh, well, I was a kid born with design talent. And I always knew that I wanted to enter a profession that would allow me to use my creativity uh, back in the day, you know, as a kid, of course, I didn't say that I wanted to design and develop websites that, that didn't exist yet for, for the normal person. So um, I, by the time I got to high school, I knew that I needed to find a career that I could use my creativity, but also potentially make a profit someday um, back in the day. So I graduated high school in 1994, which makes me 43 years old, by the way, if you're, if you're not great at math. Um, but in 94, there really weren't many careers in design, um, except for this new thing called graphic design, which was just becoming uh, digital. So I went into this somewhat new profession of graphic design on a Mac computer uh, in 1994 and graduated in 1998 with a graphic design degree and minor in business. One thing that happened during that time is really the web was in its early infancy and I was introduced to it. So when it came time for my internship during my between my junior and senior year of college, I took an internship at a little interactive firm called Spectrographic Studios, and I learned how to make websites. I was I was actually self-taught. I didn't realize that was part of an internship, is they really just provided me a desk. Literally, I brought my own computer and didn't get paid, but I remember the first day I sat down, they said, okay, this is the client. They need a website. And I mildly freaked out, but of course you don't want to admit that you don't know what in the world you're doing. So I actually self-taught, um, and the, this was before Google. So I figured it out and used my design skills to design pretty neat, beautiful websites back in the day that was not all that common. Okay, so I want to be super clear here that I never asked or prompted Carla to tell me her age, but 
honestly, sitting here looking at her, she can't be a day over 28. But then again, she was doing work before Google existed, and she built these interactive CD-ROMs. I mean, I think I remember those things. I also got into, this makes me feel old as well, but Macromedia Director uh, was the program that I used to make interactive CD-ROMs. So back in the day, if you were looking to attend a college, they would send you a CD-ROM that had a view book on it, and it had narration, and you could click through it, almost like websites today. You click through and you explore. And so I built those um, and, and programmed those in Macromedia Director. So that's another skill that I did using my design ability uh, in the very early years. I mean, one thing is for sure, if the website industry ever folds and Carla finds herself needing work, I'm sure she can find work in these interactive CD-ROMs. <laughs> but, you know, in all seriousness, one thing that I picked up on is Carla's tenacity and her ability to work through problems on her own. That's really a key skill for any entrepreneur, uh, whether they know it at the time or not. But realistically, she was building a foundation, preparing her for what was to come. The company was exciting and fun, and it's really where I learned about culture. We had such an amazing team and a collaboration between us that you know it made projects really fun to work on, and um, everything was so new and exciting that we were all just learning together. So I learned a lot about what I what I love about companies working for that company. I also unfortunate well fortunately learned a lot of business. Uh, do's and don'ts from from that time. The business, you know, I think web in general and interactive CD-ROMs was such a new media that running a company around it was also a new thing. And the company essentially made a few mistakes along the lines and was shut down. And so I, we were all left unemployed pretty suddenly, actually. Uh, so I knew that I had been working on really large projects. Creighton University School of Law was one of my clients, and I was creating a project for them that I was almost done with, and I had been working on it for nine months or so. And I just knew that I could not finish the project. So I started my own little sole proprietorship to finish those projects and knew someday I'd have to create a resume and go find that job. But turns out that working on those projects was fairly lucrative. I had very little expense, you know, I had no overhead. I worked from home. I had my computer, which I had already brought to my old job. Um, and so I realized all of this income now that was coming from completing these projects was mine and a little bit to the government, but you know how that works. Um, and one project turned into another and people heard that I was still doing websites and the phone would ring. And just when I thought, well, I'm going to run out of project work. I'm going to have to put that resume together. The phone would ring or someone would email. So I had no business plan. My plan was to find a real job someday. But because of, I suppose, my ability and talent to complete websites and, and essentially run my own little business, I made it work. And that business turned into more business, which turned into more business. And I had, at that time, been contracting out some of my back-end development, which I don't love or um, what was good at. I did some front-end, but never any database programming or anything. And I had been farming that out to someone who was similar to me. He was working from his home, doing development, and needed design work. So we kind of had this little collaboration between the two. 
but he gave me the news that he'd been give, given the opportunity to take this uh, very well-paying job uh, and that he was going to take it, which meant that I was going to be out my developer. And I was already at the point in my business where I had so much work. Do I hire someone? What do I do? So I was kind of at a turning point anyway. And timing-wise, it's funny how it works sometimes, I had just been introduced to my current business partners, Dean Barker and Joe Kepley, through a mutual client. It was a project where I'd been brought in on the design end and, and worked on the project management side, and they were hired as the back-end developers. And ironically, they were also going through some transition with their full-time uh, employers, so they just kind of did this on the side. Um, and through rounds of layoffs and severance packages, they chose to make a leap alongside me and begin Blend. The company, named Blend, was founded in May of 2005, and I really love their name. Carla actually shared some pretty fun insight as to how it was created. Naming and branding your own company is maybe the hardest thing you can do. By this time, so 2005, there were still lots of URLs available. However, there was really only .com and .net. So you couldn't be creative with any .li or, you know, any any fun thing. So when we when we came up with, when we, when I came up with a, a cool name, I mean, I, they kind of put me in charge of branding this company. Um, it was difficult and a lot of things were taken or, you know, I'd research what it actually meant. I'm like, oh, can't do that. Um, and somehow I came across Blend and really settled on that name because in 2005, having a blend of both design and development as a company was not common. Uh, you were typically a developer and you're really good at developing and, and making functional websites, but they maybe didn't have the best um, curb appeal <laughs> or aesthetic. So, uh, or you were a designer like myself and you could make a really beautiful website, but it, you could hardly navigate it and it really didn't do anything. So at the time we were a blend of both and that really made our company unique. Well, we all know that having something about our business that's unique is the key to having a successful business. But we really haven't touched on what Blend is or what they do. Well, in short, they're a website design and development company. Carla tells me that they work with large companies. Uh, some of those companies have their own IT departments, but they help them to solve their complex problems. It sounds like a pretty sweet gig, but was this always the thing that she thought she would be doing? I did not. So we one of the things about the culture in this company that we worked for is it was so strong that sometimes we actually worked without paychecks. Like they would literally bounce. So if that just sets up like what, how, how great it was to work together as a team. And we were a small company, maybe 15 people. So that's what I knew. I knew this small collaborative team. Um, what I, I call myself an accidental entrepreneur a lot because when we, when I, when I started my business, right, I was just going to finish these projects and then they turned into more projects. And then when I partnered with Dean and Joe, like we were just really good at building websites. We didn't have a business plan. We knew enough business to, you know, pay taxes and know how to invoice clients and, and do that type of work. But we'd never really stopped to think about what our company should look like in five years or 10 years. It was always, well, if we're around by then, we'll deal with it at that time, you know? It's kind of very reactive. We were just building great websites and focusing on that. Um, so yeah, I think 
looking back, you know, we didn't have this big plan. We didn't have to go to investors. We, we just were jumping in with both feet and we were bootstrapped. And that meant that we had this whiteboard on the wall with the date in which we would run out of money. And if we didn't land more business or build more clients by such and such a date, then, you know, we would have to go do those resumes and and find jobs. But thankfully, that date just kept getting farther and farther out. A whiteboard with a date as to when they would run out of money. I mean, I can't help but visualize myself staring at this day, just every minute of every day, just waiting for doom to happen. I mean, don't you think at some point that Carla would have just thought, I'm just going to put in the towel and start going to work for someone else? I didn't. That's an interesting question because I haven't really thought a lot about that. So I think my backup plan, if that if blend didn't work, was just to go back to doing what I was doing as a, a sole entrepreneur because um, sole proprietor. Because I, I really did enjoy, enjoy being my own boss, I guess. I don't know if anybody's got any statistics or records, but being your own boss, it's like a thing for entrepreneurs. We can't not be our own boss. But one of the things that comes with being your own boss is that daily struggle and that daily fight of saying, I'm worth it, I'm enough, I'm smart enough. And that idea of, or those thoughts that come to us is often called imposter syndrome. So I've talked about this in a lot of my other podcasts all through season one. I really hit home on it because it's something that I personally have struggled with so bad. And I've talked to a lot of other entrepreneurs that, I mean, imposter syndrome is so high, that anxiety of, you know, what if I'm not good enough and there's people around me that are better, that it stops them from ever even taking that first step. So with someone like Carla, who, you know, kind of, accidentally became an entrepreneur. Did she ever have those feelings? I have had that uh, all of my life. Uh, Maybe not all my life since I started the business, especially when I was essentially starting on my own, doing this home-based sole proprietorship. Like I'm pretending like I'm a company and and it's a podcast, so I can't use air quotes, but um, you're having to like I think I see people do this t- now. Like you use verbiages, verbiage like "we we will solve your problems," and I think you pretend to be something you're not because you assume that well, no one's gonna hire me. I'm like a 24 year old. What do I know? I'm gonna go present to this executive team, and I'm just this kid. And so I think imposter syndrome starts from the very beginning, just assuming that I I'm just so young. Like they're not gonna take me seriously. They're gonna think I'm a fraud. And I think all of those early years, you're, you're fighting to prove that you know what you're doing and age is almost not on your side. And maybe that's not the case today because now we all know how, how smart and young our, our, our young adults and professionals are. But back then, like if you're a young business owner, there weren't as many of us. I don't know if that's true, but in technology, I think that's really changed the way it's been. So I feel like I've always had to prove myself and I've always tried to, tried to act older or more more put together, whatever it might be, until you hit this tipping point. And I don't I can't even explain when it happens. And then you realize like I don't I do know what I'm doing and I just want to be young. Like why so, did I try so hard to be this professional, well put together person and I missed out on 
just being me. Carla mentions something that's really interesting here, the tipping point. In imposter syndrome, it's not very common where someone ever even reaches the the tipping point of overcoming that. So what did she mean and what did that transition look like for her? Well, I don't think the term imposter syndrome was very well known until a few years ago. Matter of fact, that was probably my tipping point. I was asked to sit on a panel, which back then was a big deal and I was super nervous about it. And now I'm like, that's a piece of cake. But anyway, I was super nervous and and it was for an MB event called Ink Your Dreams. And I, I'd been asked to sit on there talking about my story and what I did and how I built Blend. And I was just feeling like I have no right to be sitting up here. Like what am they're going to ask me questions I don't know how to answer. And I, I don't know that lack of confidence is the same thing. I feel like I've been confident, but imposter syndrome def- definitely affects how that comes through. And Erin, the executive director, she's, she's like, afterwards, she's like, you know what you have, you have imposter syndrome. And I'm like, what? And I thought like there was something literally wrong with me. Like, did I not do a good job? Like, did I fail at this? What do you mean? She's like, do you not know what that is? I'm like, no. And so I went back and I read it and I'm like, okay, yeah, yes. Yep. Yep. That's me. And I, so I think like having someone literally call me out on it and tell me that I need to start owning my success. And through that paired with doing more speaking engagements, doing mentoring, you really do realize like you do know what you're talking about. And then when when you have a, a coffee with someone and they write you the next day and say, I have learned so much for you from you. Thank you so much from for taking the time out of your day to talk to me. And then you start to really realize what an impact you are having on others and you start to believe that you know what you're talking about. I it is somewhat of a transition. I don't know if it's a turning point, but it's a self-realization that I am doing this to myself and it is not valid. Own your success. Those are powerful words. Entrepreneurs are usually really good at owning their failures, their mistakes, but own your success. I kind of want this printed on a huge poster just to hang in my office. Okay, so once again, I never actually got around to recording an advertisement for this part of the podcast. But you know what? It's been a really busy week. So I'm going to use this time of the podcast to tell you about something that's coming up Wednesday morning. So it's Tuesday morning now. So if you're listening to this anytime after Wednesday morning, that would be Tuesday, May 1st for those who are maybe a week or so behind. Uh, But if you're listening to this after that time, this little tidbit doesn't really apply. Uh, So what's coming up? Well, my wife and I, Brittany, uh, are going to be presenting this week at our local One Million Cups. Uh, We're going to be introducing our company, Juniper Apothecary. We'll be talking about our startup story, taking questions from a group of entrepreneurs and business leaders. So if you've never attended a One Million Cups before, there's no better time than when we're presenting. The cost is free. The coffee is free. It is located downtown Sioux Falls at the Museum of Visual Materials. Uh, If you can't make it or if you've missed the event, it is recorded live, so it'll be available up on Facebook. I will make sure that once it's ready to uh, have the links in our uh, show notes, which you can find at SiouxFalls.eco. That's SiouxFalls.eco, who also is the sponsor of this podcast. So big shout out to them. 
but let's go ahead and get back to Carla. At this point, Blend was growing. She came into the business with two other competent and capable business partners. They had clients in the hopper. They had revenue coming in from the very first day. Uh, That's like any startup's dream, right? But they needed to start bringing on employees. That's got to be a little intimidating. Yeah, I remember one of our employees went to get a new car, a loan or something, and our business name and names were on it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we really can't fail now. And so, yes, it is added pressure for sure. But I think for the first time, we were we were get, wrapping our heads around the idea that this was a legit business. This wasn't just feeding our salaries. Because really up to that point, it was, like I said, build websites, make enough money to pay yourself. Build another website, take a paycheck. Uh, so this was really, oh, my gosh, we have a business. We have to pay other people now. And... Uh, Back in the day, of course, we didn't have like policy manual. We didn't have any of that established at all. So everything like you learn along the way, like PTO, uh, I don't know, let's figure that out. You know, it's we were so scrappy. We had no idea, but we really had no right running a business. But I guess it all turned out in the end. Yes. Thankfully, it definitely all worked out. But having a business and creating something sustainable, it doesn't come without challenges and sacrifice. You know, I think being an entrepreneur, you do not get the blessing of leaving work behind um, because it is like a child of yours that you also have to nurture and grow. Um, So I feel like it's also a privilege to be in that position where you are the one that is ultimately responsible for something, but it is a, it's a burden, right? If you do not pay attention to the business and put the time in, things could suffer. And so you always have a bit of weight on your shoulders, especially when you, when you do have employees and, and people that rely on you. Um, yeah, that keeps you up at night sometimes because, you know, we, we care about them. We want to see all of our employees grow and succeed just like we want to succeed. So that's one of the burdens of entrepreneurship, I think, is just feeling responsible all the time for the business's health, for our employees, whatever it might be. But again, that does get paired with the joy when you see things go well and you see people exceed and you do wonderful projects that help other people in the world like that's a huge joy that comes out of being the one that builds something you can hear the joy and pride in carla's voice as she talks about her company and the projects that her team puts out now if you start to listen to these podcasts enough you'll notice that i have a theme of the questions that i ask imposter syndrome and failure are two of the big ones that i hit on because Personally, they were, and truth be told, they are the things that I struggle with most in entrepreneurship. And it's something that I hear from a lot of other entrepreneurs that they struggle with as well. Yes, failure is a huge part in entrepreneurship. I feel I've avoided large, massive, ugly failures in my life, thankfully. But, you know, every day is filled with some small thing that I could have done better. Um, you know, there are still things that haunt me from high school, maybe something I'm, I said to someone or those things still really bother me. And so I'm so I'm looking at this sign behind behind us. It says, be fearless. 
So I, I literally have to tell myself that. Sometimes I have a bracelet that says it because I'm so afraid that my decision is going to haunt me forever if I don't make the right one that I just have to remind myself that I will learn from it. Like you've, everybody hears this, right? It's, there's no such thing as failure. It's only a learning opportunity or whatever. So Carla really glances over this idea about failure that, you know, failure doesn't really exist as long as you learn from it, right? Now, I mentioned earlier in this podcast about One Million Cups. Now, a couple weeks ago, I attended the five-year anniversary of our local One Million Cups. Uh, The speaker was a gentleman named Andy Traub. He is the founder of a company called Take Permission Marketing. Uh, He does all sorts of things. He's out of, I, I believe it's Nashville. I can't quite remember. But he brought this same idea of failure, and he brought an interesting twist that really connected with me. Failure is something that I have struggled with really hard, especially over the last year and a half or so. And that's a completely different conversation. But he brought in uh, Miss Frizzle from the Magic School Bus. So if you're, you know, a 90s kid, you probably remember that. Um, Otherwise, there is a new version of it up on Netflix, too. But she, Miss Frizzle, has this this quote that she tells her students to take chances, make mistakes and get messy. So it really, really ties into what Carla's saying so beautifully because, you know, you can't be afraid of our decisions and the mistakes that may or may not come from them because we're going to learn from them. We're going to get messy and we're going to make mistakes and that's okay. And that's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we get better. It takes a special mindset to put yourself there and realize that that is why it happened because I'm very much a go back. If I could do that again, I would do it differently type person. So, you know, as far as major failures, you know, I, I've made mistakes on how to handle things in the office here and there, whether it be personnel or or decisions made. Um, thankfully nothing was catastrophic, but I also never really have people call me out on stuff that needs to be said. And so just in the last year, we've, um, radically changed how we run our business. We've implemented EOS So just real quick, I had to ask Carla what EOS stands for. It's actually the Entrepreneurial Operating System based on the book Traction. And uh, me and my business partners have gone through um, some leadership coaching and and trust exercise stuff that really allows us to call each other out on our failures. And I think it's all in the sense of growing and becoming better people and better bosses and that has really changed the way I look at, at failure. So just now, you know, <laughs> I'm maturing now and I'm 40. Like I can finally start looking at failures as those learning opportunities and realizing that they are opportunities for us to grow and, and move forward from. So speaking of growing and moving forward, what's the next couple of years look like for Blend? Well, would you like the one, the three, or the five-year plan? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm kidding. Know that there's all of it. There are, but no, I again, I'll go back to our our growth isn't based on on people count, but we have revenue growth that we want. We want to get better at the work that we do, so we can solve more problems for our clients and keep doing better work. Um, that to us is success, and. Um, Again, it's just refining our refining our craft and figuring out what our best clients look like, walking away from those that aren't a good fit. Just keep continually maturing as a company to only do the best type of project that we can do for someone. 
Um, so yeah, I think we, we do want to grow the company from a profit standpoint so we can turn around and do more for our employees and, and continue to grow our practice as far as, you know, our, our skill sets and talents, um, and invest in our employees in that way. Well, I am so grateful and humbled that I got to spend this time with Carla. She's an incredible business owner, an amazing woman, one of the nicest people you'll ever meet, and just so gracious to share her story of becoming an accidental entrepreneur. I'd never even heard that term prior to this. So if you want to learn more about Blend as a company, you can visit their website at blendinteractive.com. They also have a book coming out, which looks amazing. This is definitely something you're going to want to check out. Uh, they'll be releasing early versions and early chapters online, and you can sign up right on their website, blendinteractive.com. The book is called The Web Project Guide. Uh, you can sign up just for their email list, and it looks great. If you want to connect with Carla, you can actually probably find her uh, hanging out to the Zeal Center for Entrepreneurship. She is on the board of directors as the chair of the organization, along with many other esteemed entrepreneurs, and she's also active on LinkedIn. Looking ahead to next week, I sit down with a person whose job title is often not considered an entrepreneur. He's a pastor. Adam Weber of Embrace Church in Sioux Falls will be my guest next week. He brings an interesting dynamic to church planting and the parallels of starting a business. It's going to be a great episode. Finally, I want to remind you guys about the One Million Cups event happening tomorrow, May 1st. Uh, if you're able, we would love to see you. Just please make sure to introduce yourself. I want to know and meet the people that are listening to this podcast and give me feedback and advice and updates. Uh, if you can't make it, you can tune in on Facebook or watch the replay. I'll make sure as soon as it's ready to get the website or to get, excuse me, the notes up on our website, um, which of course is SiouxFalls.eco. Uh, SiouxFalls.eco is the startup Sioux Falls ecosystem. So a big shout out to uh, Matt Paulson for creating this resource and this website and this uh, entrepreneurial community, which also lives on Facebook. Um, and also for sponsoring this podcast for small business owners, um, large business owners, for those that are still on the fence about making that jump. And a final thank you this week to Thad Geed uh, with, the C with the Zeal Center of Entrepreneurship. Uh, he really bailed me out this week when I needed a recording space. So big shout out to you guys. And we will see you guys next week. Thank you.